time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test Yo, welcome to week three of our sermon series entitled Bro. We've been focusing all on the gentleman this month and looking at the story of the life of David and just hoping to be able to look at the complexities of David's life, right? Like David, who is referred to as a man after God's own heart, has all these complexities to his being and to his life. And my hope has been that throughout the series, we're able to like pull some lessons out of David's life to be able to be encouraging uh, to men who are equally equally as complex as David. Um, and so um, last week we talked about uh, we talked about David the worshiper. The week before that we talked about David the warrior. Hopefully those messages were blessings to you. If you missed them, go back into our YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe actually, but you can go back there and you can find uh, find those sermons uh, posted there as well. This week we are talking about David the wounded. David the wounded. I want to just jump into a quick word of prayer, and then we'll jump straight into 1 Samuel chapter 18 um, to read our scripture for today. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for giving us this chance to come together digitally. I pray, God, that you will give me this uh, chance to preach your word to these, your people, in a way that is real, relevant, and impactful to them. I pray that some hearts will be healed, that some brothers will be encouraged as a result of what you will speak to them today. I pray, God, that the real preacher in the person of the Holy Spirit will preach in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, again, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 9. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 through 9. Verse 6 says, As they were coming home, when David returned from striking the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities, cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day. And Saul eyed David from that day. <clears throat> There's no hurt like the hurt that comes from someone that you respect, admire, or look up to. If you've ever been wounded by a mentor or a boss or a father, this, this sermon is for you. It takes time, perhaps even years, to overcome the hurt that has been caused by these wounds. And their impact can have a lasting effect on all other relationships that you enter into in your life. To those who have been wounded, I want to say to you today that you are not alone because David, too, was wounded. And I want to draw some lessons from David's wounds because I think in particular there is something that the Lord may speak to the wounded that are among us. The story of David and Saul picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 
Two chapters before the singing of the song, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. It is after God has rejected Saul and instructed the prophet Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and God would show him which of his sons was to be anointed as the next king of Israel. That son who was anointed was not the tallest. It wasn't the strongest son. It wasn't even the eldest son. It was actually the small, young, handsome, red-cheeked teen that was out tending the sheep. His name was David. God had uh, Samuel anoint David as the next king, but there was only one problem. Saul was still the king. Uh, Through random circumstances, it is David's musicianship that causes him to get summoned by the king to play the lyre in in his presence when Saul would be tormented, the word says, by evil spirits. Uh, David then entered the king's court and David did his job very faithfully while he was in the king's court. When there was war against the Philistines and Goliath had challenged everyone and anyone that would be brave enough amongst the Israelites to step up to the battle line and go one-on-one, mano-a-mano with him, it just so happened that coincidentally, David happened to be there because he was bringing supplies to his brothers who were fighting in the war. When David got there, David was incensed and at, at the fact that Goliath was taunting the Israelite army. And David said in 1 Samuel 17 and 26, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? Y'all know how the story goes. Young David in this show of bravery ends up defeating Goliath with, with just a sling and a stone. And by slinging that stone, it lodges into the forehead of Goliath. And then David ended up killing him with Goliath's own sword. Uh, David had found favor with Saul for playing the harp in the king's court. But now because of his military exploits and his bravery, uh, David now has found even more favor with Saul. So much so that Saul set David over the men of war and David was successful, the Bible says, on every single mission that Saul sent him on. Stuff hit the fan when they were returning home to great fanfare. The the Bible says that the women gathered um, and they were gathering with some singing and with some dancing and with some tambourine playing and they started singing this song amongst themselves. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And when Saul heard these words in 1 Samuel, uh, in, in 1 Samuel, in, in, in verse 8, it says, And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousand, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and much, what more can he have but the kingdom? Verse 9 says, And Saul eyed David from that day on. And to be honest, when you look at the story, things were never the same after that day. What happens in the ensuing chapters is one scheme after another that is concocted by Saul to take the life of David. He he tried to pin him to the wall by hurling a spear at David. And he tried to do that twice. But once he sent his men to David's house to arrest him while he was in bed. But when David's wife, Michael, who was the daughter of Saul, learned of it, 
she told David to escape and instead she put a statue, uh, she put a statue's head and goat's hair in the bed to fake like David was still there. Once Saul sent David on a send-off mission to kill a hundred Philistines and bring back their foreskins as a bride price to marry one of his daughters uh, and thinking that David would get killed while on this mission. But it is the faithful David that goes out and he does it. And not only does he bring back a hundred, he brings back 200 foreskins. But Saul, the schemer, offered his, his daughter to be married to another man. One time, David was hiding in a cave from Saul's army. Saul came into the cave to pee. David could have killed him, but David refused to do it because of the respect and love that he had for Saul. In multiple chapters, we see David on the run from Saul for his life. David is hiding in caves. David is fleeing to other countries. And then David has this encounter with Saul where he could have killed him, but he doesn't. The Bible says that David comes out of the cave and he calls out to Saul and he shows Saul the part of his garment that he had cut off while Saul, unbeknownst to him, was right in David's grasp. Uh, David leaves the cave and he says to Saul that I could have taken your life, but the reason that I did not do it is because I have never meant you any malice. But even though Saul broke down and he cried in appreciation and regret and he promised to no longer pursue David, it would not be long before Saul was up to his old schemes again and would become incensed and seek to take David's life. What we see out of this narrative of David is this never ending love and never ending respect that David had for Saul. But on the other hand, we see this deep disdain and resentment and paranoia that Saul has over David. And the truth of the matter is, when you look at this story, despite David's intentions, there is nothing that David could could do to convince Saul otherwise. As I've been recounting the story of David and Saul, some of you perhaps are seeing archetypes of yourselves and some other person that you highly respected. Uh, Some person that you respected very highly, but at some point or another, they grew to resent you. Perhaps that relationship still isn't right. It's been months. It's been years. It has been perhaps even over a decade and that relationship still isn't right. Maybe some of you in seeing David on the run, see an image of yourself on the run. I want to say to you that the wounds are real and men get wounded, too. There are three lessons here in this story of David being wounded that I want to lift up uh, for the brothers, because I think that they can be a word that will speak to us, that will encourage us, that will keep us going when we look at David's story of David's wound. Uh, The first lesson that I see here uh, in the story of David and Saul, the first lesson that I see here that I want to share with you, brothers, is don't return hate for hate. First Samuel chapter 24, verse eight, it says, afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks seeks your harm. 
Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. What I love about the lesson that we get from David is that he never returned Saul's hate with hate of his own. When one is wounded, it is absolutely easy to and natural to react to hate, um, to react with hate toward the one that has hurt you. And it is especially easy to hate somebody who hates you. But what I love about David is that David takes this high road and David continues to love Saul even until the end. In chapter 24, David spares Saul's life when he could have taken it. Again, in chapter 26, David once again spared Saul's life. And each time he says to Saul, I never meant you any malice. I never wanted to take anything from you. And I still mean you no malice. David refused to return hate for hate. Matthew chapter five, verse 44, picks this same sentiment up and says, but I tell you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you. Let me say to you that the second lesson that I see here is that favor can be nearly fatal. Favor can be nearly fatal. There is this thing that is in operation in David's life. It is called favor. Uh, Favor is essentially unearned, undeserved benefit, blessings and privileges that one receives from God. It is the reason why David just so happened to be thought thought of to be the one that should be referred to the king to play the the lyre for him of every lyre player in Israel. It is the reason why David happened to be at the battle line when Goliath was popping off again. It is the reason why David was successful in defeating Goliath. It is the reason why David was successful in his other military pursuits. It is a reason why it is a reason why the people liked David, why David found favor amongst the people. It is the reason why they even put his name in that song. It's favor. Two things that I should say, two things that I should say to you about favor. First of all, is that it is not fair. But second of all, is that it can be nearly fatal. Favor will get your name called. Favor will put you in positions and you don't even know how you got there. Favor will give you opportunities and open doors for you. But favor will also bring you the haters. Favor will make people tired of seeing you on the come up. Uh, Favor will make people hope for your downfall. Favor will make people see your come up as an indictment on their own career or life success. Favor can turn mentors into competition. Favor can get your tires slashed. Favor can get you outcast, can get you shot at. Favor can cause people to want to take what you have. Your favor ain't fair. And favor can be nearly fatal. And it, exa- and it exactly was that for David. So, so let me say something to you today that is vitally important, I believe, to every one of you. When you are functioning in life with favor, be gracious and be careful with the favor that is on your life. <laughs> 
Come here, Joseph. Genesis chapter 37, Joseph had favor on his life and was even favored amongst all his siblings at home. Remember, his father, Jacob, had made him that coat of many colors. But what happened to Jacob after Jacob had shared, uh, excuse me, what happened to Joseph after Joseph had shared those dreams that God had given him that revealed even more favor that God had on his life? Genesis 37 and 19 says his brothers said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Yet Joseph's brothers intended to kill him. But then they decided to throw him in the pit and leave him there for dead until one of the brothers came back and decided at least we can make some money off of him. And he decided to sell Joseph into slavery. Your favor can be nearly fatal. So, brother, let me say this to you. You cannot post everything on the ground. Uh, Every come up, every celebration does not need to be public. In the words of Jay-Z, the streets is watching. So be gracious. Be low key because favor can be nearly fatal. Let me share share with you the third lesson that I see out of the story about David. This third lesson is that wounds cannot, cannot, excuse me, it is that wounds don't wreck God's plans. That wounds don't wreck God's plans. The wounds that begin in 1 Samuel 18 didn't stop what happened to, to, to David in 2 Samuel chapter 5. After David was on the run for his life for years, after David hid in caves and strongholds, after David escaped to other countries for his safety, after David had seen his wives kidnapped, after David had narrowly escaped the head, escaped the head of Saul, the, the, uh, the head of Saul's spear that was aiming at his body after all of the trauma, after all of the woundedness that came because of Saul's jealousy, we arrive at Second Samuel chapter five. Here's what it says. Verse one, it says Israel's leaders met with David at Hebron and said, we are your relatives. Even when Saul was king, you led our nation in battle. And the Lord promised that someday you would rule Israel and take care of us like a shepherd. During the meeting, David made an agreement with the leaders and asked the Lord to be their witness. Then the leaders poured olive oil on David's head to show that he was now the king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king and he ruled for 40 years. Brothers, some of you are living between 1 Samuel chapter 18 and 2 Samuel chapter 5. You are effectively experiencing the wounds and the re-afflictions. But I want to say to you today that wounds don't wreck God's plan. I still believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that what God has for you is for you. No hate No blackballing, no trashing of your character or exiling. None of those things can ever, ever, ever thwart God's plan for you. Perhaps this is why David picked up pen and parchment and wrote in Psalm 27, verse 12, deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty. 
I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, I love it. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen, strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Yeah, what happens here in the text is that the promise is not for immediate results from waiting on the Lord, but it is the hope that by waiting, God will keep you until keep you while you are in the waiting room. What will he do while you're in that waiting room, brothers? He'll strengthen our hearts when our hearts are wounded, when our hearts are afflicted. Every now and then between the wounding and the realization of God's plan. Between 1 Samuel 18 and 2 Samuel 5, I need God to strengthen my heart. So I close by saying to you, brothers, take heart. Because wounds do not, do not wreck God's plan. I want you to think about this for a moment. David was a teenager when this beef started. A teenager. There's several times in this story, at the early parts of it, that he is referred to as a youth. When he uh, says to Saul that he wants to go out to fight Goliath, Saul says, you cannot go out and fight him because you are only a youth. When he steps up to the battle line to fight Goliath, Goliath is incensed because again, he says, David is a youth. David is a teenager. When all of this kicks off, he would be 30 by the time he would finally become king. What a long time. What a long time to be on the run. What a long time to be hopping country to country. What a long time to be hiding in caves. What a long time to be dealing with the paranoia that your life can be taken at any moment. But David says to us, Psalm 27, verse 13, he says, I would have fainted unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let me say to you brothers who have been wounded, many of us don't care to be vulnerable like this to admit being wounded, but one, it's not your fault. And take heart that no matter how long it takes, the wounds will not wreck the plans that God has for you. Keep waiting on the Lord, even if you are waiting while wounded. Oh.